0: We ask this question a lot, at least it, we live in a consumer culture. you know what that means like we look for the best product, we look for what we look to, to sign up for the service that can do the most for us, and we ask this question to church whether it's right or wrong. We ask this question, what do we want to see in in our church? What do we want to see in a church that we're a part of Now, many of us we look on the external things when we think about it, like the style of music, the style of dress, different things. But I want to propose to you today that that doesn't really matter. I mean, it's not unimportant, but it's not the most important. And most of us, when we go and we look for a place of fellowship with other believers, we look at the wrong things. But thankfully, here's the good news the New Testament recalibrates us and puts us back on the right trajectory and the right way of thinking. Have you ever had to have your thinking adjusted or your attitude adjusted? Amen. I heard it all across there. And so I want, I want, to, I want to, to pose this and put this out here, that you and I need to constantly have our attitudes, hearts, minds adjusted to God's trajectory because if we are left to our own pattern and path, we will end up in a bad place. And so what we want to see in a church, I think Paul says here, we've been, we're starting, and last week we started it, we're going to be walking through the book of Philippians for, uh, for several weeks. And in doing so, Paul is writing a letter to a church that he helped plant, and you can go back and check out the history of that in Acts chapter 16. And now Paul's in prison, writing to this church that's having some difficulties, but these people that he loves a whole lot. So if you would, we're going to look in Philippians chapter 1, we're going to begin in verse 1 and and read up to verse... Uh, read up through verse 11, and verses 9 through 11 will be our text for today. So if you would, if you have a copy of God's Word, if you don't have a copy, turn to Philippians. Well, you can't. If you, if you have a copy, turn to Philippians 1. If you don't, it'll be on the screen for you in a second. There you go. Still working on daylight savings time, people. All right, so Philippians 1.1, one, 1 says this, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Jesus Christ who are at Philippi. Philippi, just so, you, just so you know, it's in modern-day Greece. It was in the Roman province of Macedonia. And so here's what he goes on and say: To all the saints in Jesus Christ, you're at Philippi with the overseers, the elders, and the deacons. Grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Then he begins a a time of thanksgiving for this church, and he says, I thank my God in all remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me, and this is what we talked about last week, it is right for us to have a holy affection and a love and a joyful thankfulness for God's church. And if you don't, you're wrong, not the church. Now, yeah, we know. I've been there. Church can hurt you. People in it can. But God loves his bride, and he has begun a work in his people at a local body, and he will complete it. Even in those churches that are basically by all intents and purposes, you look at them, they're dead. Here is the thing. Paul loves churches that are flawed and full of flawed people. If you go back and look at the scriptures, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, that's a jacked-up church. Paul loves them and he loves this flipping congregation. He says this, it's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for we're all partakers of grace both in my imprisonment and the defense and confirmation of the gospel verse 8. He says for God is my witness. Now you know he's getting serious. You're saying, "Listen. God's going to testify for me how I yearn for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Now, many of you, I want you to, some of you who are married and some of you who are dating, I want you to just to, to dial back to that place where you were waiting for that phone call from the one you were dating or with. Do you remember that one? How much time you spent on the phone or texting or whatever, and you couldn't wait to see that pop up on your screen. And you got this this Jealous, yearning for them, and you're like, and you get the text, like, oh, look at that, okay. And if you were with your parents, you like, you you blush, you kind of walked away, okay. And then you got the phone call. I don't know if some of you guys. L- the, your girl on the phone is talking to you, and she's like, I love you. And you're like around your buddies, and you're like, I love you too. And you hang up, but you got that, this, this deep longing for these people. And so Paul has a deep longing for this church. He's in prison in Rome, they're in Macedonia, they're a long way from each other. And he says, As God is my witness, I want you to know how much I long for you with the affections of Jesus Christ. And then he goes on and says this in verse 9. Verse 9 through 11 will be our text today. And It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you might approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory of and praise of God. And so I pose this question to you, what do you want to see in your church? And Paul has a prayer for this church that he loves very much, that he yearns for, that he longs for with the affection of Jesus, and this is his prayer. He is praying for these people, these things, that they might come to pass in their congregation. So I think following this logic here, there is a way that if Paul prayed this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it'd be good for us to pray and pursue this in our church. And here's what it is. What do we want to see in our church? We want to pray and pursue this. Verse 9, and it is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more. So the first thing here is he wants their love for God, for one another, and for those outside of their community to abound, to keep more and more and more. And then it's not just abundance of love. It's qualified and, and added to with this other section. It's my prayer that you, your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. And so here's what I think you need to look for in a church more than anything else or what you want to see in in this church and pray for about this church and pursue in this body of believers. You want God to work in us in such a way that our love would abound and not just love alone, but love with knowledge and discernment love. First off, I want to go see, what, what, what does this love talk about? Well, it's obvious. He's talked about the grace of Jesus Christ again and again in this letter building up to this point. I mean, we're only nine, nine verses into it. He's mentioned the gospel, which the gospel is just the good news about what Christ has done, that the holy God left heaven, became a person, lived a sinless life that we couldn't live, died on a cross, a, a criminal's death he did not deserve, bearing the sin and shame, bearing all of sin, rising again, ascending. And now he is the one to be worshiped and adored, and the only way to be right with God is by faith in Jesus. So he's talked about the gospel two or three times. He's talked about grace. What is grace but this? That we don't deserve the love of God, the radical love of God, that that, that Jesus would empty himself, as he would talk about in Philippians chapter two, and die to the point of the cross. So he is saying this, that he hopes that this church is full of love, for God and his gospel, and certainly that's what we want to pursue and pray here, and also that we'd be filled with love for one another. He talked about in this prayer all his affections he has for the Philippians. In fact, he uses big words, okay? I yearn for you, which, if not, with Jesus Christ gets a little awkward. I went over to Dwayne and said, Dwayne, I yearn for you. We have a problem, That's weird. That's right. Yes, we do. But if I say I, I, and if I go to, if I start saying to people, "I love you," it could get really weird. Unless I say, "I love you in Jesus." Okay, it can get a little awkward. Am I right? You can say that you love you. You know the difference. I love my wife in a different way. I love than I love Dwayne. Sorry, I'm picking on you, Dwayne, but you got the red shirt on. You stuck out to me. Okay, and you should. That's rightfully so. Okay, and that that we see that in the scripture. So he wants love them to have. He's he's modeling for them love for one another, and that's certainly what he wants it to abound more and more, an overflow of love for God and his gospel, an overflow of love for one another, and also a love for those outsiders, because what is Paul seeking to do, and what have they partnered with Paul? Why Why is Paul in prison? because he was taking the gospel on a missionary journey all over the known world. And he is in chains because he is talking about the gospel and telling it to other people. And he wants them to join in it. So he wants this church to abound with love. Love for God. Love for each other and love for the world that is overflowing and so here's the thing that you want to look for at first when you come to it and look for a church you want to see the love for God the love for one another and the love for those outside that is what we need to see more than anything else before you evaluate it based on the music and how slick it was or whatever you need to say is God being glorified and loved here Is God being, are these people loving each other and are they loving the outsider when they walk in? That is a good mark of the church. It's something we need to pray and pursue. But love is not alone. Love is not alone because what does he say here in verse 9? And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. More and more, just overflowing love. But this love is with knowledge and all discernment. See, I want to, I want to, Paul, under inspiration of the Spirit, God's given us, because we tend to fall in one ditch or the other. We're really bad about that. You know how that is. You ever, have you ever been on a diet, and you're like super strict, and you're like, I had a piece of kale and a rice cake all week. That's it. I have only had four calories, and then it's cheat day, <laughs> which it always works out well when you do that, right? After you've had kale and a rice cake, oh, it's cheat day. I'm going to eat seven pizzas and hamburgers, too. Like, I'm just going to make a pizza out of it, and then what happens? I can't believe I gained weight. I had a, all week until Saturday, all I had was kale and a rice cake. And then you just feel awful afterwards and we just tend to fall and then you go you binge eat and you and watch Netflix and then it's just bad, okay? So you just keep falling off one we are we are a people of extremes. You notice that. If you don't believe me, just turn on the news. Everybody's polarized on one issue or the other. You're in one ditch or the other. But there is a natural balance that should be in the Christian life. And the balance here, especially in a church, should be that of love and knowledge and discernment. And if you have one without the other, you're going to have a major deficiency, and it can lead you to some bad places. Let me give you an example. If we have, we, we have a church that is full of love but no knowledge and discernment, we will violate the Scriptures because we will approve things that God disapproves of. Let me give you an example of that, because here's, here's, here's where we are in the world. It's now you can't disagree with somebody and, and their lifestyle and their choices and still love them in most people's mindsets, which is ridiculous. You, are, do you have a family do you agree with everything they do? Do you want to hit them with chairs sometimes? Do you refrain from doing that because they know they call the law? Yeah, you probably do. Hopefully you do. If not, we'll, we'll talk to you in jail. And, okay, we'll pray for you. All right? But why? why? Do you still love that person, though? And if somebody talked bad about them, you might hit that person with a chair, okay? And so why? 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 Because it's possible to disapprove of someone's lifestyle and choices and to still love them. However, what has come, what the idiocy that has invaded our thinking in this culture, and I call it idiocy rightly because it's just not thought out, is that you have to approve and affirm everyone. And that is now what's constituted as love. Love. But, folks, love without knowledge and discernment. Love, yeah, it says, yeah, let's affirm. But knowledge and discernment says there are things to affirm and things not to affirm. We affirm some things that are good for you, but we would not affirm things that are not. For example, I have a little kid that loves candy, a five-year-old named Judson. And he doesn't like to brush his teeth either. So if I'm just going to affirm all of his choices, you know what I'll do? Oh, I have all the candy you want. Hey, just have it all. Yeah, you can stay up to 3 a.m. because you're high on, on, you know, Tootsie Rolls. Sure. You don't want to brush your teeth? Absolutely. Just, just, in fact, why don't you cake your teeth and gums and Tootsie Roll before you go to bed so then you can taste it while you're going to sleep. That'd be a great idea, would it not? What do I say to him? No more candy. But you're not affirming my choices. It's not good for you to have that many tootsie rolls. Who knows what they're made out of? When have you seen chocolate that looks like looks like wax? It's not right. But you're not affirming my choice and my right. It's not good for you to smear tootsie rolls all over your teeth. You're gonna have cavities and gingivitis, and you're gonna walk around with no teeth. A church that has love but no knowledge of God and his word and what he approves and what he disapproves of and with discernment. You don't want to be a part of. We don't want to be a church with love but no knowledge because we'll fall into error. You hear me? Yes, we want to be one that loves that you come in any shape, form, or fashion with any sin that is beating you down because we believe all sin leads us to death and that Jesus is the cure. You can come in with whatever bag of rocks or whatever whatever bunch of sins you have, but here's the thing. We will not affirm those sins because they are deadly. And that is what it means to have love but you love for the outsider, you love one another, and you love God, and you want to do right by somebody. Because it's not love. Do you know it's really not love to have a drug addict in your family and to supply them drugs? That's enabling. Here, this will kill you. That's not love, but we get in our... we get in our twisted thinking. Sometimes we say, yes, it's okay. It can't be okay. Because here's the thing. God wants in our churches, and Paul's praying through the Spirit and saying here, for this church, I pray that you abound in love, that you love people, that you love the least and the last. You love people with huge sins. You love people who struggle. You love people. And this, is a, this is a church that's not perfect. You love them but you have knowledge and discernment and you know what to affirm and what not to affirm. In fact, if you go down to verse 10, it says, why do you, should you have love and knowledge and discernment abounding in your church? Verse 10 says, so that you may approve what is excellent. It is very dangerous to approve of something, especially as a church, that God says is sin. And it might get you a big crowd, but it will not get you disciples. Disciples. And I want you to just hear this loud and clear. We don't want to be a church with love but no knowledge because we'll fall into error. We'll approve things that God disapproves of and we'll disapprove things that God approves of. We'll fall into error. Paul wants to see this in a church that they would have love abounding with knowledge and discernment so that they might approve what is excellent. And also, I want you to say this. That's one side of the ditch. If you, don't have, if you have love but no knowledge... You just affirm everything, and you actually hurt people, and you hurt other people. You hurt their souls. That's one side of the ditch, and here's the other side of the ditch. You don't want to be a part of a church that has knowledge and no love because you'll be nothing. I'll give you an example. Another time that Paul uses the word knowledge is in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You ever heard this? You ever been to a wedding? Okay. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, love is patient, love is kind. You know, it's not about weddings. <laughs> this is free. You can read it at a wedding all you want, dude. If you hadn't read it at your wedding, don't throw anything at me, okay? Wait till after and throw something, it's fine. Please don't throw anything hard, okay? But 1 Corinthians 13 is not about matrimony. It's about love in the church, love inside the body of, of believers. And in 1 Corinthians. 13, Paul uses this word knowledge again. In fact, he uses it several times. It's all related to knowing God and knowing the gospel and knowing the scriptures. That's how these words, he uses these words. So when he says knowledge and discernment, his knowledge and discernment is not some secret thing. It's what's been revealed. It's about Jesus. It's about knowledge of God through Christ. It's about the scriptures. And so he wants the church to be full of love and full of knowledge and discernment. And so in 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 8, he says this If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, ecstatic utterances, if I can speak in a way that is so eloquent, and 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 if I do that, but I have no love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Have you ever heard a cymbal? You ever heard one of those? Like, really? It's very loud. And if you've ever been around a middle school or elementary school band, like just starting up, and you let the drum, it's the best to be the drummer in those because it's really hard to play the, the woodwind instruments and the horns and stuff when you're that age. But man, they can hit those drums and cymbals hard. And just if you would, I mean, just think about it for a minute. Somebody just go into town on a cymbal because in elementary and middle school, it's not about nuance, it's about, let's hit this thing. Look how loud it is. <coughs> And you can imagine a small room with a bunch of people hitting cymbals, how loud it would be. It wouldn't sound good, okay, but it would be loud and noisy, right? And so here's what Paul's saying. He says, if, you, if I speak with all eloquence and I speak these great things but I don't have love, I'm just like these cymbals that are just noise. And then he says in verse 2 of 1 Corinthians 13, this is going to use the word knowledge, and if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries, scriptures, And all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but I don't have love, I am nothing. And I want to pose this to you, that a church that just has knowledge will be nothing, And people with just knowledge, it amounts to nothing. And at best, you will have a bunch of Pharisees who love to be right and don't love other people. And that is just as dangerous, just as, hear me, I'm doing this on purpose. That is just as dangerous as a church that loves and approves the wrong things, as love and no knowledge. Pharisees are on the same side of a different coin, and all of it will lead us to hell. I knew some guys that used to invite me into this Bible study. I went one time. There's a whole bunch of guys that like to read the Bible and argue about things. Now listen, (laughs) this is a call to knowledge because what does he want? Love and knowledge and discernment. Knowledge of God, knowledge of the Scriptures, knowledge of who God is as revealed in the Scriptures and discernment. Discernment basically is like wisdom. It's like how to apply God's truth in love. That's what discernment is it also is the idea of knowing what's right and wrong and knowing what to approve and what not to approve okay knowing having the nuance to know how to use knowledge. Have you ever met somebody that has so or is very smart but has no common sense? this is the opposite discernment having all discernment is to actually know have knowledge have love and know how to use them both and so he wants that to abound in the church but i had this I went to this Bible study one time and i got I almost like flipped tables over in Barnes and Noble. So like, this is so dumb. And they, I got invited back several times. And finally, I went to the guy. I was like, "All you do is argue about things that don't matter." We their friendship is not good. Okay, I'm just letting you. Know, I probably need to repent that person. But you get this: the Bible is not just a textbook. It's not just oh I know all these doctrines, big whoop. If you don't have love, you're nothing. But if you have all love and no knowledge, you don't know what you what you worship. In fact, those things are to be together. And so here's what I call, you need a church that is full of love abounding with knowledge that their love is concrete anchored into the knowledge of God revealed in Christ and his scriptures. And that is what you want to see in a church. The church takes the Bible seriously, doctrine seriously, but loves seriously. And we're always going to be in this tension not to fall in a ditch. And that's why Paul is praying and pursuing this for the church. And here, I want you to see this just like them. We need to pray for and pursue abounding love rooted in knowledge and discernment, and then I want to give you why. Not just that it's right, okay? How many of you love that answer because I said so? Everybody love that. You've used it. I guarantee. If you have a kid, you've used it because sometimes you don't want to explain the tootsie roll on the teeth. Why that you don't want to explain gingivitis? Okay, you don't. You say because I said so. Get in there. But most of us, that, that doesn't end here. And Paul's going to give us in his prayer that he's praying for these people with this earnest love. This prayer is not prayed but anything else but affection for Jesus and affection for them. And so he says, I want you to pursue, passionately pray and pursue love abounding in knowledge and discernment so that you might approve what is excellent. We've already talked about that. So that you might approve what's right, approve what's good. Disapprove of what's that? So you might follow God in the Scriptures, that you would be full of love and full of truth, and that you would approve what's right and disapprove what is wrong. He also says in verse ten, and here's the ramifications: that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ Jesus. So he says, I want you to approve what's excellent. And then, secondly, I want you to be pure and blameless when Jesus comes. Now, he has an eye in every part of Philippians. He has an eye towards Jesus coming. Most of the time, when we think of the apocalypse or the end or Jesus coming, we think of it as a negative thing. There's some positives to it, but if you think about it, have you ever noticed that we've had this prevalence in our culture of, like, doomsday preppers? They've made TV shows about it, people who are stockpiling all sorts of weapons and food, and they're ready for the, the apocalypse to come. In fact, I know a guy who carries around a bug out bag, and he thinks a zombie apocalypse is coming. I was like, You gotta stop watching The Walking Dead, dude. You got a problem. That's fiction, right? If you see that documentary on AMC called The Walking Dead, I'm like, Wow, you got a problem, okay? If that's you, come, I'll pray for you, okay? If you're worried about a zombie apocalypse, I will pray for you. And so I want you to just think about this. Most of us think of the apocalypse of the day of Jesus as a bad thing or the, end of, the time, end of times. But in the book of Philippians and throughout the gospel, the day of the Lord, the day of Jesus, Christ's coming is a good thing. Because for us, and Paul will talk about, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And to be with Jesus and have him come is a good thing because he will do what's right, and he will set things right, and he will do what is right. That's why at the end of the book of Revelation, you have the you have John saying, "Come, Lord Jesus," because he wants Jesus to come. And so the prayer is this: I pray, Paul, saying, "I want I pray for you, Philippian Church." That your love may abound with knowledge and all discernment, so that you might approve what's right and, and, and disapprove what's wrong, that you might approve what is excellent, and that you might be pure and blameless on the day of Jesus Christ, not perfect, but standing in His righteousness and pursuing pursuing moral goodness, pursuing. Good lives, pursuing lives that honor God, pursuing lives that are a fragrance to other people of who Jesus is in this dark world. As he, as he would say it later on, that you be lights in this perverse and dark generation. Pursue purity and blameless until Jesus comes. And there's a look to this. We will have to give, and at church, hear this. We will have to give an account of how we live together in fellowship in the Gospel, and we want when we got when when the day comes when Jesus is here, we don't want him to go, you guys blew it I mean you're still in because you're mine, but this church blew it you didn't you you weren't full of of love and knowledge and discernment. And you disapproved of things that I approved of and you approved of things that I disapproved of. And you weren't pure and blameless, you weren't seeking me and you weren't seeking holiness. And he's saying, "I want this Philippian church on the day when Jesus comes, with an eye towards that. That we are living for more than this life. That we, our church, and at this time, we are living for more than just the next next twenty years, thirty years, or however however long we're living towards the day of Jesus, with a, a thought to we want to be found faithful and pure and blameless and holy, and seeking after those things until He comes. And we thinking the time is ticking, but we everything we want to do." Is for him. And that when we see him, we might be approved. And when you have love and knowledge, it makes you ready for that day. Finally, I want you to see this. He says, filled with the fruit. This is this, verse 11. That, so let's go back to verse 10. So that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless on the day of Jesus Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. So he says, I want you to approve because you have love and knowledge and discernment. You're going to approve what is excellent. You're going to be blameless and holy to the day of Jesus Christ, or at least pursuing it. And then the outcome is this, that you would be filled with the fruit of righteousness. So you'd be ready for the last day. You'd know what to approve and what not to approve of, and you'd be filled with good works and the fruit of the Spirit. That's what Paul is at. He's praying that if you have love and knowledge of God, this will result in you righteous acts. If you go back to Galatians chapter three, the fruit of the Spirit, we got it here. It says the fruit of the Spirit. That Let's go back to Galatians chapter 5, 18 through 24 real quick. It says this, but if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalry, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so those are things that God disapproves of. There's a whole there's a bunch of lists of them, okay? And he doesn't just approve them because he's a killjoy. They're not good for us. We weren't created to live like that. And the sin's against him. And so if you approve that stuff, you are wrong. But then he says this. Here's what the church in Galatia should be like. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And so when he talks about the fruit of righteousness, he's talking about the fruit of the Spirit. He's talking about in your church there should be good works, good things taking place, love, and joy, and patience with one another, and self-control, and gentleness, and love towards the outsider, and hospitality, and so many things. Righteous works, care for concern for the poor, Taking the gospel to the the least and the last. Doing good things in our community so that Christ might be glorified. And that is the thing. And it all begins with this prayer that love would abound with knowledge and discernment. And so I want to ask this question to all of us. When people think about Journey Church Hartsville, what do they say? What do they say? You know, this is a small town. You know that, right? And anybody brings up anybody, there's somebody, that something to say about it. No. Yeah, I'm at the ball fields. I go to the bank. I go eat the early bird. I get it. This. What do they say? What do they say? Now we can't judge everything by what do they by what do they say. Because there will be people who are antagonistic and even angry towards us. And that's not, they're not angry towards us. They're kicking against Jesus. And maybe not. Maybe we actually gave them a cause to, and we need to repent too. That's also a possibility. What are they saying? When they look at it and they think about us, is it, are that a church filled with righteous good deeds? They might not say righteous good deeds, but you're like, I don't know if I jive with them. I don't know if I'll go there. But I see, the, I see something good coming out of there. I see goodness. I see love for one another. I see them loving our community. I see that in them. And that's what are people saying. What we want is to be characterized and we want to pray for and pursue love abounding with knowledge and discernment. Love anchored to truth. Love that's wide and huge and as big as the love of God for us that will will receive anyone but will not let them stay where they are because where they are is not where Christ has called them to be. That they might repent and believe and pursue holiness and blamelessness. Is that who we are? Is that what we want to pursue and pray for? That is what we need so that people might see that we approve the right, what's excellent, so that people might see and we might be called pure and blameless at the day of Jesus, so that we might have a reputation of being full of righteousness and good deeds and love and joy and patience. And people, when they think about us, some people might dislike us, but they can't deny the work of God here. And so here is the final thing Paul says, and this is to be about all of our life and all of our church, and here it is. We might be filled with the right, verse 11, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Glory is a shining forth of who God is. Glory is the reflection if you will of his and when we glorify him we are reflecting who he is and so the question for us is this are we reflecting to our greatest ability how great our god is are we af- reflecting glorifying god and jesus christ as much as we ought and the answer is obviously no it's never it's never yes not completely because there's more and more. He wants the love to abound more and more. We have, we'll never make it. You get that? This side, we will never be the church. like We can never say, yep, we're loving enough. Yep, we know enough. Yep, we glorify God enough. No, you won't make it, but we have to always pursue. The second you say you make it, you've lost it. Do you realize how glorious and great God is? I am constantly forgetting that and then amazed by it, again, when he reveals it. This song we sang right before I came up should make you feel uncomfortable. It, it should. It makes me feel uncomfortable. In fact, the first time I heard that, I was like, I am not singing that song. Because reckless? Well, the song is not, first off, it's not saying that God's reckless. God is not reckless. It's saying his love is reckless. And I think they use the word reckless because words can't describe it. And we just read right before I came up for this sermon, that that Luke passage that Amy read. That's ridiculous. If you think about that, that should make us feel really uncomfortable. That he would leave 99, the shepherd would leave 99 to go after the one that was lost. And that would be used to describe God seeking out sinners we don't deserve any of that. we that that, and if you think about it, most of us. But look at that! Like if we were the if we were the herd of sheep, we'd be over here. Look at the dumb one. Okay, well, they're gonna get it, and then we watching Looney Tunes. the The wolf is coming. Okay, we would be looking out there, and that is like stupidity. Uh, you left off like we're sheep over here. Look at that dumb one over there running away. Okay, but the shepherd leaves the sheep. And he goes, and he gets the one, and he picks it up and takes it home and says, let's rejoice. That's ridiculous when that's applied to God. Why would he seek us out? Why would he love us first? Do we have nothing in us that would, would merit goodness? We turn away so many times. What? And then you got the, the next one, and this, the, the second image in that Luke 15 passage is even more ridiculous. Because have you ever lost your cell phone? And tore through the house? You maybe can hear it ringing, and you're throwing couch cushions off, and you've got to leave, or lost your keys, and you've got to go to work. And you're like, everybody stop what you're doing! Throw away your breakfast! Help me find my keys! So what we have, this lady's lost a coin, and it's valuable, and she seeks it out, and she finds it. And she's like, let's have a party. This is, I lost something, and now I got it. And you're like, I found the keys. And that's the love of God? That's ridiculous. That's uncomfortable. Why would he do that? Why? We don't deserve it couldn't earn it, Ah, the glory of God, all that we might be full of love abounding more and more, full of knowledge and discernment of that God that is the lover, the seeker, the drawer, the the chooser, the, the most powerful, the one who seeks us out. How we were yet sinners, and even gives us the means to, to grasp salvation, which is our faith. Oh, that we could glorify Him. Oh, that we could make Him known. Oh, the fact that He calls us. How much more do we want to abound in love because of His love? How much more do we want to abound and show His glory off because He is that glorious? It should make us un uncom- We are uncomfortably loved. It's, it's that love that you ever been to someone's house and they just really open up the spread and you, they said, don't bring anything, and you show up and you're like, I feel bad, I didn't bring anything. And they got the best stuff to eat and the best stuff to drink and they got the best entertainment and they got like goodie bags when you leave and you're like, what is happening? Why? Why? And God is so much more than that. Why can't we pursue him in love and knowledge? For the glory of Jesus. I, I just I hope you can see this. I, I words fail us when we think about the glory of God and Jesus Christ. Oh, that we would be wrecked by that. Oh, that we would be changed by that. Oh, that we would pray and pursue love abounding with knowledge and discernment for the glory of God and the praise of Jesus. Let's pray. God, we're thankful for Christ and what he has done. We're thankful for love, your abounding love. And God, we pray that we would abound and pursue, that we would abound in love more and more with knowledge and discernment for the glory of Jesus, that we might approve what's excellent, that we might be found pure and blameless on the day of Jesus Christ when you come. You might be pleased with us. And Lord, we pray that, that we would be full of the fruits of righteousness, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, good works towards the poor, justice, gospel ministry, taking the news to every land. We pray, God, we do all that for the glory of God the far surpassing love and glory of Jesus. You are so good to us. We stand in awe and we pray that your love and knowledge and discernment and truth would characterize us. That's our prayer and our pursuit. In Jesus' name, amen.